Berkman, and welcome to Balance Sheet. Having a mentor like Avec will change the course of your life, but not all mentors are created equal, and many are making serious and avoidable mistakes. Avec O'Brien is a senior finance executive, servant leader, and board director. She's the current president of the Detroit chapter of FEI and served as director on the National Board of Alpha, the Association of Latino Professionals for America. In this episode, the very lovely Avek and I talk about the power of mentorship, the challenges of raising teenage sons, and life as a Latina woman in accounting. Avek's mentors have had a huge influence on her leadership style, and I hope this conversation inspires you to seek out mentorship or to become a mentor. Now here's Avek. As you know, my name is Avek O'Brien, but my name itself won't tell you much about me. I have a French name and an Irish last name, but I'm actually Mexican and Panamanian, and I also have a Polish mother-in-law. <laughs> so um, I am a little bit of everything. I am a mother of two boys. I'm also a wife and a Latina and a CPA. Um, I am a, I'm a senior executive with about 25 years, over 25 years of experience. And I started my career as a freshman in the university in Mexico. So my career started in Mexico City, where I was born and raised. Um, I was a full-time employee at the same time that I was a full-time student. I had a merit-based scholarship and was also on the fast track at the public accounting firm where I started back then. It was the big six. Um, I graduated with distinction, but I learned audit actually before I learned accounting. And there I discovered the importance of mentors. And I also discovered that passion is what gives you the stamina to keep going when, you know, you don't even know where you get the strength from. So I would go to school from 7 to 8.30, then back to work or then to work from 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 and then back to school from 7 to 10. And then at 10, I would go either back home to study or sometimes even back to work during busy season. Then I changed roles. I, um, I was hired at an executive search firm to do a little bit of everything. And while I was there, I discovered also that passion makes you fearless. So I did not know what I was doing. I was hired because my the managing partner had faith in me, took a leap of faith and hired me because he figured I could, I could figure it out. Um, and I had never done what I was hired to do there, but I was fearless because I was passionate about it. And I just went with everything. To this day, my boss there is one of my mentors. Um, while I was working with him, I decided, I realized that I needed to do more. So I came to Michigan to get my MBA at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. This was 20 years ago. And I came because I was looking for an opportunity in nonprofit management. I wanted to change my career, but um, you make your plans and then life changes. And so when I graduated from my MBA, there was, it was also the time right after the 9-11 attacks. And so the only thing in my resume that actually opened the door for me was my previous experience in public accounting. So after graduating from my MBA, I went back into public accounting. You know, I was at the time engaged. Okay, so I came to Michigan thinking I would go back two years later. And then I met Joe, who today is my husband. So here I am 20 years later. But I started at Deloitte I worked at Deloitte. So back now, there were the big four. And I thought I would be there for six months to a year because I had a wedding to pay for. And six months turned into almost seven years. You join a company for the name, 
and to get, you know, to get a job, you stay for the people, you stay for the mentors. So I am, you know, living testament of that. I found I had the blessing to have the best mentors and friends in Deloitte, some of whom are, are still today my mentors, actually. And so there I worked and I focused mainly in nonprofit clients, and I had a few, uh, mostly healthcare clients, actually. And I never forgot my dream, so I wanted to, you know, go back to this nonprofit management idea. And so I found an opportunity, I was offered an opportunity at a local museum, a science museum, to become their CFO. And the museum was going through financial stress, and there I discovered that passion is infectious. So when you put your heart in and you go with all of it, even in the grayest of the days, people gravitate towards that. We all like to have that, you know, rainbow to our storm or that sunshine in our cloud. And so I was blessed and that I was able to be that to some and do that for some of them, maybe hopefully for most. <laughs> um, at the time, actually, when I was at Deloitte, I joined Alpha, the Association for Latino Professionals in Finance and Accounting, but was then. Now it's Latinos for America. And I was the founding president of the Michigan chapter. And then I was, um, after my two-year tenure, I, I was invited to the national board to serve in the national board, where I served for about six years. When I was at Alpha, we had a partnership to increase the diversity in the in the membership at FEI. So um, I received a call from the local board members. They invited me to a, to a meeting and I really enjoyed it and I became a member. I was um, part of that initiative of FEI. And today I am actually the president of that chapter. So I was 10 years ago, I was just the guest trying to test it and, and I am the president of the Detroit chapter and I work with a fantastic team. So after the Science Center, I went to, to work for a produce company, and um, it, was a great, it was a great opportunity, uh, but you know, all positions come to an end, and so now I'm very pleased to announce that I am about to start a new position at a local um, company, family-owned company, very exciting industry and energy, and so that's a little bit about me. That's so <laughs> exciting. I'm a very big and I know you're starting um, in just a couple of weeks. So, uh, and what a time to start a new job. <laughs> yes, you know that. You know, we were just talking earlier how um, the pandemic has forced us to to leap into the future. And really, I think everything was meant to change. Some of the change was already there. We just probably weren't uh, brave enough or forced into it. So this put us in fast forward in it's making us take advantage of technology that was there on ways of working that were already there. Um, I remember when I started working in one of my, you know, previous employers, uh, they did not really fully believe in telecommuting. And I'm, I'm assuming now they do. <laughs> and it's interesting, right? Because having worked in public accounting, that was very common, like second nature to us. You are, you have deadlines, you have deliverables, and they know when you're at home, nobody's really questioning whether you're working or not. If your work is getting done, it's getting done. Um, so I think now some of the other, the rest of the world is catching up to what the flexibility that we used to have in the past. Right. I have so many questions for you, Avik. Um, but one is is just I'd love to hear more about your experience as a woman in accounting, 
um, especially as a Latino woman, you know, what, what do you think the unique challenges were that you faced, uh, if any, what was that experience like? So, Olivia, you remember I, I started my career in Mexico, and so in Mexico, even though I wasn't a minority because I was Mexican, we were all Mexican, mm-hmm. uh, but it definitely was a male-dominated environment. Mm-hmm. And so in the firm, we're, at the time, we had 80 partners. All of them were men. Most people around us were men. But I had the blessing to work for a fantastic senior manager um, who is a female, and she was a great counselor, a great mentor, a great role model to me. So she made me realize that it was possible to grow and but that we had to support each other. At the time, I don't even think she planned it like that on purpose because nobody back then talked about mentorship. I'm telling you, you know, 20, almost 30 years ago. But she definitely created that support system for all the female uh, employees in our team, because we all reported to one common partner. And she made sure that we had life balance. I'll never forget one time she came to the office and, and I was single and I, I was telling you how I had to juggle between school and work, but I had no, nothing else. My life was really my work. And I remember when she came one time on a Saturday and she gave me some great advice about finding balance and about why I shouldn't be at the office, even though I had so much work to do. She pretty much sent me home um, and made me realize that, you know, this isn't 100% of your life. Yeah, I know you're committed and excited, but you need to find balance. And many times she used herself as an example. And she was very humble to admit, you know, I made that same mistake when I was your age. Don't do that. So that is something that mentors sometimes forget as we're trying to guide our mentees to actually open up and say, I've made those mistakes, right? So again, that was my first interaction with mentorship and I'm very thankful to her to this day to her. Can I say her name? Sure. She will love it. Angelica Estrada and we call her Angie. And she was an angel to all of us women in the firm. But when I came to Deloitte, I was much more aware of that difference. And again, I was now in, in the U.S. where I had no idea that, you know, what it meant to be a Latino in the workforce. I was very in tune and very aware, I guess, of the difference and the subtleties between the equality of opportunities for women because I had been exposed and forced to it over and over and hitting the glass ceiling and the glass door and the glass window and the glass everything for years. But then I came here thinking, well, you know, the the situation had advanced quicker for women just to find out that actually it's not true. Just to find out that ignorance, like they say, is the enemy within. So I will never forget, once I was already at the firm, we had all these diversity and inclusion initiatives, all of them very well thought out and, you know, research-based and you try and sometimes it feels like it's the flavor of the month, but then you realize that actually there's a reason for that. And I'll never forget one of my supervisors when they made a comment like, we don't need these initiatives. I don't know why they, they still do this. I have never been treated differently for being a woman. And Olivia, I was shocked because she probably meant, uh, she definitely meant it. She wasn't lying but I could see how she had been treated differently. I see how 
without knowing the, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, those subtle ways she had been excluded and she just didn't know. She just didn't think much right. about it. So I think the same is happening for Latinos, right? If we don't know what exactly that looks like, you may actually feel that you're fitting in, that you're being you know, counted and that you're being, and you're not. So no, you don't want to be the squeaky wheel and no, you don't want to be the one that finding that the world is different or that now they need to assimilate to me. No, you come in and you learn and you play by the rules, but you're also aware of those differences to see where and when you modify your behavior to precisely meet those expectations. That's when mentors come in really handy. <laughs> mentors and sponsors, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking a little bit before you and I got on about um, the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. And for me, my boss... Chris has been a real advocate and and what I would say a sponsor for me. He is also a mentor to me in a lot of ways, but I think that he falls more in the sponsor category because a lot of what he does for my benefit is sort of behind my back, if that makes sense. So he really advocates for me and, and kind of um, he he advertises my successes. And like I said, in a lot of ways, he is a mentor and he has taught me a lot, but he's, he's more of a sponsor. And, and that there is a distinction there that I only really started to understand really as I started recording this podcast and talking to people and, and understanding. And then there's allyship, which is like a whole other bucket. And of course you can be all three. You could be all three and some one without being the other. Um, some people will be one without being the other, but there is a natural link, right? So the mentor, the way I see it, and I think it's more kind of um, accepted now, kind of that definition is that a mentor is someone who gives you advice, who cares about your career and, and it's there for you, right? But it could be anyone. It doesn't have to be someone within your organization. It could be someone outside. Like right. I was mentioning earlier, some of these mentors that I've had at the beginning of my career are still my mentors. And, and I'll touch on that as well, because sometimes you just need to reshuffle your mentors. Your needs change, right? Your professional needs, your personal needs. So, uh, but really someone who's there to give you advice, selfless, to listen, and to be your consultant, your counselor, your cheerleader, right? To encourage you to take risks, to look at things from a different angle. Whereas a sponsor could or could not be doing those things for you, but really it's someone who's advocating for you. Someone who is going to go out to battle for you. When they're having a meeting, for instance, about promotions, he's going to say, you know what, Olivia is fantastic. This is what she has done for me. This is what, this is how she responds. So he's really an influential mentor, but there is, it is a two-way commitment. It's a two-way relationship. He's taking a lot of risk as well by putting his word for you. You know, there's, there are high stakes for both parties, I guess. You have to go ahead and now deliver what he has promised because mm-hmm. now you are carrying on his word. So he went out to battle for you. You better deliver on what he said. And so early in your career, what I have noticed or what I think is that a mentor is all you need. You know, hard work will take you places and a mentor will tell you which will help you decide which places you want to get. But mm-hmm. as you advance in your career and you're looking for positions that are more limited, right? So there's no seven position openings, there's just one. 
you need that influential person that's going to open the door for you, that's going to tell others about your successes and the things that you've accomplished or some things about your character that others would have no way to find out. But it has to be someone who has a voice and a seat at the table to be able to be that influencer. Now, the sponsor, on the other hand, also benefits from this relationship. You know, there are benefits of being someone's sponsor because then you're showing that you care about the organization, that you're actually in the lookout for good talent, for good leaders, for people who are worth keeping, right? Like the keepers. There is a win-win like in most relationships, but, um, but the stakes are high for both. I'm really glad that you told that story about the boss that you had, the female boss who, who came in on a Saturday. I love that you brought that up because I think when we think about balance, a lot of times we do think about parents or like, like we think about it in a, in the family sense. So you imagine somebody who's working late hours and they're missing their children's bedtime. And like, I tend to think of it that way too, because I'm a new parent. And so that's like the lens that I look at a lot of things through, but balance is just as important for a young woman starting out in her career who doesn't have children at home or even, or a husband or a, a wife or whoever waiting for her. And I think we do, we tend to, we don't, we don't give that person the same, I don't, I don't know how to say it, but. Yes. Right. Like we, we pretty much, and, and it's a very common mistake. We pretty much take for granted that the young professionals with no family commitments are owned by the company. And so what she brought up to me and, and, and back in the day, again, nobody really talked about it, but it's that concept as well of wellness, right? So you have Mm -hmm. to look after yourself Mm -hmm. and just being here the whole time. It's not, it's not good for your health. It's not good for your social health as well, for your emotional health. Go, go out, go to the movies, do something, go find something that you enjoy. It's easy to lose that balance. If nobody, if she hadn't pointed that out to me, Olivia, I probably would have continued doing that for a long time. And who knows, right? I would probably still be working there. So one of the things that was a big eye opener for me is that shortly after I said, I'm going to be the first female partner in the firm, actually, the first female partner was named and then the second female partner, the second female partner, I'll never forget. She was not married and she was hundred percent devoted to the firm. At least that was the image that she portrayed. And just like we have positive role models, we also have these role models of something that we don't want to be. And I think it was around the same time that I thought that is not the path that I want. And I think what, most companies now, and that's that's why you try to get a balance and a mix of people and the positions in your in your pipeline. It's because that's how you inspire others to even remain and want to pursue a career there. Had I seen a more balanced female leader role model, like for instance the one that was my senior manager, had she been a partner, had she become mm-hmm. a partner, I would have stayed there until I made partner. But the other ones, they were not something that inspired me. I'm sure many other people probably found them inspirational. I didn't. Right. Right. Not seeing that particular type of woman, which was more, you know, aligned with the path that you were on, not seeing that that type of woman in a leadership role, that's sending a very strong message to you that, well, that 
lifestyle is not really rewarded here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it. A, a big reason why you do need diversity and leadership positions because for new or young employees, they should have a variety of examples to sort of pick from. So, yes. You mentioned earlier some mistakes that mentors make. We can imagine a bad mentor. But what are some of the more subtle mistakes that, that mentors are, might be making with their mentees? One of the ones that I find myself making often, you know, I have to make a conscious effort to not do it, is you give your mentees advice and you hope they'll take it, but sometimes they won't. And you have to admit that for one, what worked for me doesn't, isn't necessarily going to work for them, but you also need to let the mentee, allow the mentee to make their own mistakes. So here, this is the mistake I made, or this is the advice I'm giving you. This is what I suggest you do. But if they don't do it, you can't come later, like I told you so, and you can't get mad at them and you can't assume that they don't value their relationship or that they don't, that they're wasting your time. So no, they're not wasting your time. I am sure they valued the advice, but for whatever reason, they didn't see things the way you see them or they thought their circumstances were different. And that may or may not have been the right decision, but sometimes that's the only way we learn, right? They say, you can't learn to shave your face and you can learn to shave in someone else's face. <laughs> so it's until you cut yourself <laughs> that you learn well, or your legs or whatever. You I never shave. heard that before. But that's funny. <laughs> to me, that's the one that I make the most often, but I know there are others that you don't define the role. So you need to have a clear defined role. Um, and is this going to be the type of mentor that you're like a life coach and, or is it going to be the occasional coffee type of mentor? So I have mentors to whom with I contact once a year. I have mentors that I contact whenever I'm at a fork in the road, but nowhere else in between. And they actually are happy to hear from me. I know, I hope <laughs> they are right. And so am I, when I hear from someone. So Another mistake we make is sometimes we think I haven't contacted my mentor in so long. I don't want to call them just to ask for a favor. Guess what? Yes, you can call because they are going to be happy that you reached out. But reminds me one more thing. A mentor is not your, your personal uh, job searcher. A, a mentor is not your personal decision maker either. So as much as we have to refrain as mentors from making decisions for, for our mentees, mentees need to also refrain from expecting that response, right? Like they will give you, so I learned this from Adolfo. Adolfo is my mentor from Hydric, so my job after Coopers. And to, just recently I had that conversation with him um, and he says, I can't pick for you. I can't even tell you which one I would pick. But what I can do is I can give you, so he pretty much asks me additional questions to help me get to my own answer. And I think that is true for any counseling or advising uh, relationship you had with anyone. It has to be their decision. It has to be our own decision. Because if not, then you're going to blame that person. Then you're going to, if it doesn't work out, then you're going to say, if I had taken the other one, or you will live with that buyer's remorse or that regret of what if I had made my own decision 
What if I had not listened to him or to her? So whatever you do, you have to remember that it is your decision. They are just giving you data points. They're just giving you additional color and additional information. They are not making the decision for you. And so even if you think they're hinting into which one you should take, they are not. It is your decision. So it is our decision as mentees. And it is a dialogue too. So it is a two-way street and you need to have that openness, but you also need to be receptive to listen. So from both sides, some of us that talk a lot, when we're gifted with the gift of words, like to talk and to listen to our voice. But you know what? We are here to share with each other, either questions or responses or situations. You have to be a very active listener doesn't matter if you're the mentor or the mentee. It is, there's a lot of listening and there's a lot of sharing and people are opening up their hearts to either give you advice or to request that advice. I'm thinking of a mistake that I made. I was, I felt as though I was a sort of mentor to a younger woman in my office. I came to realize that I was projecting in many ways onto her. And I was giving her advice in such a way that I was molding her to be not only what I thought she should be, but me. (laughs) And first of all, how cringy and arrogant of me, but I, I didn't have the, like I didn't go into that relationship with enough sort of purpose and forethought, I, I kind of just winged it. And I think that probably works for a lot of people, but I should have been more thoughtful about that relationship um, and the advice that I was giving her. So I'd like your thoughts on that too, actually. Just what sort of preparation you think mentors need to take, if any, before they enter into a a relationship like that? That's a great question, Olivia. And, And it's interesting how you said that you were sort of her mentor. You were definitely her mentor. So sometimes it doesn't have a label. Sometimes there's not an official moment. Do you want to be my mentor? You just evolve into that role. You just become that person. And so what I do warn everybody, right? You never know who's looking at you as a mentor. So make sure that all of your actions, your responses are consistent with the example that you want to set for others. So I don't think it's unusual. And I think probably most of us do it. And it must be some, you know, Darwin explanation behind this that we want to preserve our species and we want more people to look like us and be like us because it's not even uncommon for parents, right, to live their dreams through their children. Well, your mentees, and that's another mistake, by the way, to feel that they are your children. They are not. You, they're not your kids. But sometimes we tend to believe like this is these are my children and it's my role to form them. No, it's your obligation. You have a duty, absolutely. And it's a beautiful responsibility, but they're not your children. So uh, don't take it like that, right? But it is not uncommon to want to say, well, this is the path that worked for me. And look, look how good I am. You should want to be like me. No, not everybody. Thank goodness. Not everybody wants to be like me. But um, (laughs) the most important thing as you go into a relationship like this, whether it's formal or informal, whether it was, you know, part of a program or just something that happens organically is that you have to remind yourself what is the end goal? And it's never 
about you, the mentor. It is always about the mentee. It is about that person. And so one thing that I see in common with all of my mentors, Adolfo, Andres, Angie, and I can keep listing the big name, is that every time we're friends or we're casual acquaintances, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but what happens is when you're having that conversation, there's a switch immediately that clicks in and all the conversation becomes about me. It is never about them. It is never about them trying to project themselves in me. It's about listening to me. It's about what they think it'll be best for me, not for them. Unlike the sponsor, that sometimes the sponsor might have, you know, an additional interest of you helping his or her team. The mentors, it's really, I think, sometimes a more selfless way to do this. The first step as you model this and as you walk into any of these dialogues is, this is not about me. This is about my mentee. This is about this person in this moment in their life. And so you kind of have to get into their shoes, not having tried to jump into yours. That's very good advice. (laughs) And I will, you know, next time be aware of that tendency in me have it. Yeah. And try to understand too, like ask more questions to really better understand their experiences, their background, because everybody is the way that they are for so many different reasons. And not, no, none of us have the, you know, exact same history. So that was a good lesson. Ideas of the future either, right? Different goals and different dreams. I was recently, um, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with the young uh, woman and who told me that her dream, and just at a conversation, right, we were talking about jobs and about the pandemic and everything, and what her dream would be is to have a coffee shop, to own her own coffee shop. She said, if I had no bills to pay, I would like to have my own coffee shop. Olivia, that is probably the last of my dreams. <laughs> and so I try to right, giving right. her advice, yes. career advice. I would have never guided her into anything that would lead her there. I would probably actually lead her away from that. It's really important to first listen, what is it that, that makes you happy, right? What tickles your heart? And once I know that, well, the first step is don't forget your dream and now let's work towards it. And some people will not be the right match and that's okay too. You can, as you go through your career and through your life, you will swap mentors. They have a different role. You know, another thing that's really interesting, and I had this conversation with John Chavez, yet another one of my mentors, is that when we start our careers, you get very excited when you see the big names in your company or people who are like many layers above you and you want to be like them. Those usually are not good mentors. And I mean, they're great people. They might be great sponsors, but usually you can't be that far removed from your mentor. Yeah, they'll give you some good advice of some things, but your circumstances and the world that you're growing in or that you're in today, it's completely different to the world that they live in. So there is a person, a mentor, or you can have, they can be your mentor for certain things, but there is a person that the generational gap between him and I is so big that even though he always gives me this really well-intended advice, I want to say that's not how it is anymore. You know, the world has changed. and It has changed a lot for me and, you know, the generation of my parents. 
it has changed a lot for me and the generation much closer to mine than my children. The changes are quicker now. So the same happens in the workplace. So you can't go too many layers above you or below you to, to have this relationship because you might lose some important things and you might get advice that no longer works. Mm-hmm. As a mentee, you do need to take everything with a grain of salt and right understand that things do change. Now things are changing very quickly. And so the workforces that our children enter are going to be so dramatically different than what we are experiencing now that my advice will be useless. So (laughs) how have, you've mentioned um, a few mentors. So how have they affected your personal leadership style? Oh, well, so some have been more more direct in their advice to me. Others have just been that I see how they carry themselves. I want to emulate what they do. So for instance, an example, Yvonne Garcia. Yvonne Garcia was the president of the Boston chapter of Alpha when I was the president of the Michigan chapter. And so we were at a meeting of presidents and I realized how she expressed herself about her team. Very thankful to her team. And we, of course, are all are thankful to our teams, but it was a very genuine thankful moment and how she, she described how she went above and beyond to thank her teammates and her, her chapter leaders. Later on, I had the opportunity to serve in the board, in the national board, when she was part of the full organization. And there I was, you know, first-handed recipient of that care for the team, that she's always thankful, that she always talked about we and not about I, even in the world that it's almost expected. And especially for women, you go to all these trainings and, you know, lean in and all of that. And, yeah. and they teach you how to, some of the downfalls that we do, and like, don't talk about we, talk about I. She didn't care that that may be perceived as a weakness. She still talked about the, the, the group, right? And so it was, the team was first, but not only on the ways that she talked about us, she knew each of us individually. She knew our kids' names. She knew the things we liked, the things we didn't like. She knew our birthdays. She would send this. I mean, and it's the little details that tells you she cared about. She even knew about our favorite music. And so what that gave me as I grew to emulate her is like, I want to be like her. And I really, even though I've always considered myself a very you know, caring person and caring about my team, it was a very easy example to follow to say, it's not just to say I care about my team. These are the other small actions that I can do to show them that I actually care about individual, as individuals. And I had another, another mentor. She's still my mentor, Tina Wheeler. She is a partner at Deloitte and she is very direct with her advice. And sometimes you need that, right? You don't need people to sugarcoat what you need to hear. So she would tell me, in a very loving and caring way, but also be, and very selfless, but very candid, never competing to another thing that women unfortunately used to do, or some, some women do when they're trying to coach you or to mentor you, rather than wanting to emulate them, they want to compete with you or like mm-hmm. how this was hard for me. So it should be hard for you. So Tina was never like that, right? She, Tina is the opposite. And as leaders, we have to learn to do. And sometimes I didn't do it, you know, the whole, you need to be more assertive. Well, she told me, told me until now, maybe I'm way too assertive. <laughs> but again, it's those, those things that you admire of, of them and you mm-hmm. emulate them, but mm-hmm. it's also the advice they give you. It's, it's that combination. Um, but but again, back to Adolfo, it's 
when he gives me advice or when it's when when he's in that mentoring mode it feels olivia as if there is nothing else in the world that matters it never feels like we have an hour limit or a 10 minute limit when i am you know expressing what's going on nothing is more important than me and that's what i try to do to my mentees so even you know i used to have an open door policy when i was and my previous employer and some of the people that worked around me, not necessarily all in my team would come. And I made a conscious effort to say, when you're here with me, you have my undivided attention and it is about you. It's not about me. Those are amazing lessons. And I do want to say about, you mentioned that competitiveness between women and it is so unfortunate. And to in our defense, right, it is a symptom of there not being enough spots for for us, right? Um, which 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 creates this atmosphere of hyper competitiveness, but also, yeah, a feeling of like I paid my dues and now you need to do the same to really earn the spot. Uh, and it is really unfortunate. I've experienced it f- for sure as a as a younger woman, and and the only way to solve it is to have more access to those roles, right? The- yes, and I don't know, Olivia, if that is something that comes natural naturally to women, or if the workforce has made us like that, because you're surrounded in an environment where you know the alpha male, the hunter. So even if you weren't brought up like that and you see that that's what's rewarded in your industry and your company, you little by little start to mirror those things, right? To mm-hmm. try to be that. I don't know. I don't know if it's like the chicken or the egg, like what happened first and who's mirroring what. Right. And I've been trying actually to understand when that changes and, and to try, trying to have those conversations with my sons as well. As a mother of two young men that from a very young age, are aware of the differences, the subtle differences between men and women and how they are treated. And so, and how they are, the opportunities that they receive. And this started at their school. And many times they would come and complain to me, both of them, you know, they're in different grades and they have different classmates and different teachers. But the theme, the underlying theme was there that the girls never get in trouble. And I did this and I got in trouble. And if a girl had done it, she wouldn't have gotten in trouble. And it became more evident when there was a big incident about, you know, a fight between two girls. And, you know, not to tell you the whole story, but really the moral, like the final bottom line that my son said is like, well, she didn't get in trouble because she's a girl, right? Any any of the us boys would have been expelled from school. She just got a, a hand slap. As many years, I tried to tell them, don't worry, the tables will turn. And this is just me. I know it's probably not a very comforting uh, advice for women, but as my sons come heartbroken that at school this is happening, or not heartbroken because they just like say, it's a matter of fact that this is happening. Like, you know, sometime between now and the day you start working, the tables will turn and you will have the advantage. So please let the girls have their advantage now. But really, I started to to think about it. The more and more I kept happening is like, I can't be the only one 
discovering this? And is this a problem of their school or is this happening everywhere? So it turns out, once again, I was not you know, inventing the wheel. Other people already knew that the earth was round. And so there's a lot of research about this happening at schools. It's no no news. That the tendency to of behavior for of girls is the behavior that it's rewarded at school, that you're quiet, that you raise your hand, that you, you know, you want to be the teacher's pet. Girls do that and they want to be, you know, their dad's, the daddy's girl. And so they come to school and they want to do that. Again, I'm saying girls knowing that not all girls, but it's a behavior more common in girls. Boys are more active and that's what it is. I see it at church. My kids can't sit down and maybe that's just my kids. But, but at school, that is not rewarded. That is a behavior that it's, you know, you're supposed to sit still for eight hours and, and deal with this, right? And you're supposed to raise your hand. You can't interrupt. So um, I, as I deal with that, it's like, how do I make sure that they keep their voice and that they keep those characteristics that are innate to them, but at the same time, it doesn't hurt their progress? And having many of these conversations and again, trying to get them get to the answer. So what have you, why do you think girls don't get in trouble? And why do you think the teachers prefer that behavior? And what can you do to, to do that behavior, to have that behavior? And the phrase that my kids use around here is the goody goods, right? <laughs> uh, well, it's because girls are goody goods. Well, you think your teachers like goody goods? Yes, well, then it's your chance to become a goody good. So without telling them to lose their voice, there is a time and a place to be a goody good, even if it's not something that comes naturally to you. Are they doing it? Obviously not, but at least they are now aware that there are differences and that, that those differences exist. It is okay that this is the way you are, but understand that there will be consequences with the way you are. I'm going to keep getting notes from the teacher and I'm going to keep not liking it. Well, I, we've already gone way beyond um, how, how long I was going to keep you, so I'm sorry about that. But I do want to say your mentees are so lucky to have you because you are so incredibly thoughtful and caring. And also, I'm very excited for you for your new role. So congratulations again on that. And the last thing that I want to ask you is, um, I, I usually ask my guest about a podcast that they are listening to. So is there anything that you have been listening to lately that you are enjoying? It doesn't have to be business related. So recently, the thing that has caught my eye, and it's really, it has to do a lot with equity. And more than podcasts, it's been a blog. And, and I discovered this one person. His name is Darren Walker. And he doesn't know me, but now I've become, I've became his fan. So um, maybe he has a podcast. I just have to keep looking for him. But he wrote a phenomenal blog. And then I kept reading other things that he has written and that he has posted out there in the web. Back in 2016, about equity, in a way that you would, if you read, like I read it, and you would have thought he wrote it two weeks ago. It is so timely. It is so spot on with everything that we're seeing, everything that, in my opinion, is missing or it needs to be implemented or things that we need to become aware of. So he talks about privilege and how it is blinding and how we all are at a position of privilege, even when we think we are not. So he's an African-American male and 
the example he uses, but he has a fully abled body. And oftentimes, he forgets that disability is something as well to consider when you're thinking about diversity and equity, especially. Absolutely. And how building is not ADA compliant. Um, and so it was an eye opener, but just the way it's worded to me, it's just like, now I want to meet this man. So hopefully he'll hear this podcast and he'll call me and say, I want to meet you too. <laughs> your number one fan, if you're listening. <laughs> that sounds like a great read. Avek, thank you so much. It has been really fun just getting to know you. And have fun being a mom of a boy because I grew up in a world of all girls. I went to an all girls school. I'm an only child. And so my life was women and girls and then all this feminist thing in me. And now mom of boys has reshaped my way to see the world. And I love it. So I know you're in for a treat. And how cool that I'm home, you know, with him every day and I'm in it. So... (laughs) But I am. Thank you. I really am enjoying it. It's definitely a whirlwind and I can't believe he's almost a year. It's been an amazing ride so far. I believe it. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Avek. We'll talk soon. 